welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm going to have a longer introduction this morning, so no, no apologies. Uh, as far as I can tell, and by all accounts, C.S. Lewis was one of the most kind and thankful people to ever live. I, I have not read one account of any of his biographers or friends or news articles. He was, he was very much in the public eye a lot. And this, this man was a very joyful Man who was surprised by joy, as his autobiography said. He was born in the late 19th century with the scientific revolution literally picking up steam. Okay, literally picking up steam. Industry was booming. And at the turn of the 20th century, there were motor vehicles and airplanes. This was a crazy world. And even as Lewis struggled with the death of his mother at a young age, humanity as a whole had an optimistic view of the world. The story of humanity was progress. It was, it was getting better and better and better. But then the Great War happened. World War I, where enlightened professors fought to the death in the trenches. The modern world did not deliver on its promise. And returning from the war, Lewis entered into a dark and depressed society. Lewis lamented the lifeless poetry of his day. He, he, he hated the emergence of, of all of this uh, lifeless and depressing science fiction, all this escapist romance, he said. The world was all Scrooge. It was all Scrooge and, and soot and ash and Mordor. This is the imagination he was in. The spirit of the age was doom and gloom. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound familiar? Post-World War I, England rebounded, though. They rebounded. Industrialization advanced. And the spirit of the age, like the pendulum swing of history, swung back in the opposite direction. And then bombs fell in the streets of London. As a scholar of medieval literature, Lewis literally, literally looked to the heavens for comfort he, he loved the pre-modern world of ancient myths and medieval flights of fancy. The world for Lewis was alive with personality. It wasn't dark and gray and grim. Animals and trees talked and planets had personalities. It was into this dark and gloomy age that Narnia was born in his heart and his soul. The children of Narnia left the devastated world of World War II London, England, through a wardrobe, and they entered into a cold world. They entered into a cold and, and seemingly lifeless world. And over and over again, Lewis repeats at the beginning of this first story, it was always what? Always winter and never and never Christmas, always winter and never Christmas over and over again. But the song of old Narnia was still alive in Narnia. They sung, when he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. 
And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Like the true story of Jesus Christ that had captivated his imagination, Lewis knew that every good story had to first pass through the cold, gloomy, and depressing death of winter in order to be born again into the living hope of spring. The modern world of C.S. Lewis, the Industrial Revolution, didn't deliver on its promise of everlasting peace because it was a bad story. It was a bad story. What do I mean by that? Humanity believes each of us deep down, we are convinced that nothing is wrong. That there is no problem, there is no need of redemption, that sin or evil is a non-reality. So we can just, we can just keep going up and up forever, progress without any humility, without any dying before the spring. We eat our never satisfying Turkish delight and we say, I'm quite comfortable in my warm winter coat. Thank you very much. And this coldness, this doom and gloom, anxiety and depression is very familiar to us because we are, we are in another pendulum swing back and forth. Everything's great. Everything's terrible. This is what we do. This is our story. Our postmodern world, the sexual and technological revolutions continue this same story and it is a bad story. There is nothing wrong. Again, here's the bad story. There's nothing wrong in this world, and there is certainly nothing wrong in you. So pursue your own desires at any cost, and you will have peace. I'm going to just say it again. This is That's not a good story. There is no good news at the end of this story. And none of this is new to us. None of this is new to us. This is the vanity of Ecclesiastes. This is the vain philosophy and empty deceit of Colossians that we heard read this morning. Look with me in Colossians on page 984. Colossians chapter 3, page 984 in your pew Bible. And verse 15, Colossians 3.15 on page 984. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And be thankful. Off and on, ever since VBS this summer, I've had a, st- a song stuck in my head. And this is one of the rules of polite society that if you have a song stuck in your head, you don't sing it so that everyone else doesn't get it stuck in their head. Uh, But this is what I've been singing in my head for months. I want to be thankful. I want to be grateful. I want to remember everything that the Lord has done. Right? So thankfully, this is actually a pretty good song. Um, Incredibly catchy. Everywhere I've turned this week, this song has been my soundtrack. I've always been a glass half full kind of guy. Uh, Another way to say that is I'm... I have a tendency to be an annoyingly positive person, annoyingly positive. But even with all of my positivity, many, many moments, many days this week were a big struggle to be thankful. 
To be thankful, I ha- a glass half empty view of the world is easy. As Paul says in Romans 1, although I know God, all too often I do not honor him as God or give thanks to him. I become futile in my thinking and my foolish heart is darkened, claiming to be wise, I am a fool. I exchange the glory of the immortal God for weak and thankless idols. That's my personal translation of Romans chapter 1. As I've meditated on Paul's letter to the Colossians this week, one question has been stuck in my head, maybe because of the song or maybe because it's all over Colossians. How can I be thankful? Like like one of my heroes, C.S. Lewis. How can I be a joy-filled person, always giving thanks all the time? I want to live thankful. I want to overflow thankful. I want to be in the core, in the core of my being, a thankful man. So how can I be thankful? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you indeed, you were called in one body and be thankful. This is at the end of a full chapter of imperatives, a lot of strong language. And this imperative that is stuck in my soul is be thankful. How do you do that? How do you just, how do you just do that? Okay. That is what I've been reflecting on this week. And I, and I'm going to give you my answer. This is, this is the one point of this sermon. Here is what I think is the answer from Colossians. Thankfulness is always on the other side of death. Let me say it again. Thankfulness is on the other side of death. Now, that sounds kind of confusing at first hearing. I have chosen my words very carefully, so let me explain. There is a kind of thankfulness that we should all practice, a childlike thankfulness that comes before death. Before the endless winter of Narnia, before the time of trial, before we grow up, this is the discipline of thankful living in the Garden of Eden, okay? This is imagination for you. I, I, I call this garden thankfulness, okay? Garden thankfulness. Even when everything is going pretty smoothly, even then, it is not easy to be thankful, to practice this discipline before they have entered the fullness of the difficulties of kindergarten. Train a child how to practice this thankfulness and you will know what I mean. It's hard. It doesn't come easy to us. On that one day a year when you wake up to a perfectly clean home with perfectly joyful conversation, or if you're like my wife, perfectly joyful non-conversation, with perfectly beautiful weather outside, whatever it is that your perfect day starts with, even this kind of garden thankfulness requires incredible effort. But here's the reality. We all live east of Eden. We, we all live east of Eden. Death, doom and gloom, anxiety and depression have entered into our lives. And so how am I supposed to give thanks in the midst of all of this? And there are two ideas in Colossians that are they're ever present throughout this letter, and they overlap over and over again. The first idea is thankfulness. 
Thankfulness is in every chapter of Colossians. Many times he says things like, always thank God, give thanks, rejoice in sufferings, abound in thanksgiving, be thankful, do everything with thankfulness, give thanks, be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. Okay, It's very repetitious. It's a big idea. But on top of that, in Colossians, this is perhaps the most highly exalted picture in the New Testament we get of Jesus. Jesus. Okay. So thankfulness and reflection and exaltation of the person and work of Jesus go hand in hand. Let me show you Colossians chapter one and verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Chapter three and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, in everything, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, through Christ, through Jesus, what are we passing through in Colossians with Jesus? What are we passing through? Chapter one and verse thing. He, the father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 19 of chapter one, for in him, in Christ. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in your mind, doing evil deeds, he has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you blameless Holy and blameless and above reproach. And in chapter three, right before our reading this morning, if then you have been raised with Christ, with Christ, in Christ, through Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is a massive collection of a lot of verses that we're really familiar with. But don't mistake this. This is a grand reality that we we can only participate in thankfulness in our lives. And thankfulness is only on the other side of death. And first and foremost, this means our death in Christ. Our death in Christ, dead in him and raised by him and with him and in him and through him to walk in thankfulness to him. Okay, so there's a lot of Christ in this picture of thankfulness. So why aren't we thankful? One of the main reasons, and this is a very boring sermon, 
One of the main reasons we are not thankful is that we do not devote ourselves to thinking on these things. We, we don't do that first and foremost. Verse, verse 20 of chapter 2, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Why, why do you keep going back? The philosophy and the empty deceit of this world that Paul is writing against to pursue glory without entering in to death first, about dying first. It's an empty philosophy. It says aim for pleasure, but you will never receive pleasure that way if you aim for pleasure. If you aim to die, you will be satisfied. Our daily devotions are at best mindless consumption of entertainment or sports or something other mindless you can fill in the blank. Or at worst, our daily devotions are incessant vitriol or incessant paying attention to the news, or whatever it is that stokes your flames and your passions, your anger and your unrest all the time. This is So this sermon is not about not watching movies, okay? It's not about not enjoying sports, or not caring about the world, or news, or, or politics, or, or events. It's about our utter lack of attention to Christ. If, if we were attentive to Christ, then maybe, just maybe, we could pursue these other things with thankfulness and joy, but we're not. We are bitter and fearful and depressed and sad, and we live life in a malaise of half-pleasures, of half-pleasures because we are devoted to the wrong story and the wrong script. And there's only one script that leads to thankfulness, and that is the start of the story is death and winter and cold and then resurrection to thankfulness. Thankfulness is on the other side of death and through Christ. On the other side of death is life and peace and thankfulness. So medita meditate upon his life and death and resurrection day and night. Put your faith and trust in him retell and rehearse this story, the plot of this story, and then reap thankfulness. This is just all another way of saying we, we need to read our Bibles. And I say we, I say me. I need, to, I need to devote myself to meditating upon this true story more and more and more. So other than read your Bible... <laughs> which is like my favorite application ever. How can we be thankful? I have a few point, quick points of application, and then I'll be done. Firstly, put every other story to death. Put every other story to death. At the beginning of chapter 3, um, one of the first imperatives is in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. So long before we get to the imperative of verse 10, verse 15, to be thankful, Paul implores the Colossians to put the, to death the empty deceits of the world, to put them all away. 
Put them away. So rejecting Jesus or going your own way, apostasy, it doesn't usually happen by reading liberal theology. Okay? Or hearing liberal sermons or something like that. It happens when you devote yourself entirely to mindless consumption of lifeless stories, of hateful headlines, of soul-crushing liturgies in this world. Ask this question, can I give thanks to God in Christ for this movie that I'm watching? If I do this thing, if I read this article, if I devote myself to this self-improvement plan after this, after this activity, what I'm doing right now, am I more thankful or am I not? If you are giving thanks, if you are not giving thanks, stop it. Put to death this, this repetitious story in your life. Go watch Toy Story 4. Please do that. And give thanks to God that there are still stories being told about a toy laying down his life for the good of someone else, okay? Give thanks to God for your favorite team as they all give of themselves for their teammates. They sacrifice themselves. They throw their body on the floor for the good of the team, for the good of others. But hear me, don't devote yourself to Pixar and to your favorite sporting teams instead of the scriptures. Just don't do it. Let, let, let Christ be preeminent in your soul and then, and then put to death everything else so that it will be reborn in Christ. It will come alive in Christ and you can be thankful. There are a lot of true stories in this world, but without the true story of Christ, they will fade away and they are fading away at an alarming rate right now. Secondly, sing the story. Sing the story, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I went to seminary to get away from doing music all the time because I wanted to be a real pastor. That's what I thought. My first semester, my professor said, you, your people in your church will not remember your sermons on their deathbed. What are they going to be remembering on their deathbed? The songs. The songs of the gospel, of the, the preeminent and preexistent Christ, creator God. That is what will sustain you in this world. So sing the story. Number three, pray. But hear this, pray for others. Pray for others. Colossians chapter three, Colossians chapter one and verse three. Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. In chapter four, he admonishes them. He, he admonishes them to listen and to receive the one who he's sending to them because he is always struggling on your behalf in prayer. In chapter 4, verse 2, he charges them, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, and at the same time, pray also for us. Pray also for us. Do you want to live your life in thankfulness to God? Approach God on behalf of others. 
This is what it means to pray, be in conversation with the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit for others. Make this your life and your discipline. Model this as Paul did for the Colossians. Pray for them and then ask them to pray for you. Please pray for me and give thanks to God for others. And this, according to Paul, over and over again in Colossians, will, will bring about thankfulness in your life. And lastly, lastly, and this is, this is Father Ben's favorite application. And we've been talking a lot about thanksgiving. What's that word in Greek, Father Ben? Eucharist. Eucharist. Yeah, Eucharist. Eucharist. Lastly, here's the final point of application. And this is, this is not, hear me, this is not a boring, meaningless sermon. That is the struggle that I have. That reading my Bible and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with one another and to one another, and that praying for other people constantly, and that coming to worship and to receive from the Lord's table, that this is not enough. Oh, it is the only thing that is enough to pursue this way. So come and die and eat and live this Eucharistic Thanksgiving meal with us this morning. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 